Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hi, friend. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. It is my pleasure to be your host. And today, a huge shout out to our international listeners and guests that we have on the show. We don't want to become boxed into our own little perspective, and we are so appreciative and grateful for you continuing to show up and make this a global ministry. So thank you. And that goes right along with our guest today, Karis Brown, who Uh, actually is not related to Brandon Brown from last week. Completely different uh, continents, life stories, everything. They just happen to have the same last name, and I happen to schedule them around the same time for interviews. So Karis Brown joins us from Australia today to talk about her journey through some health issues, horrendous migraines, and the healing she got after 25 years. And so this story, when we started talking, just blew me away, and I believe it's going to blow you away as well. And I have linked some things for Karis. She has her own podcast and different things in the show notes, so check that out as a way to support her and enjoy my interview with Karis Brown. Okay, well, Karis, this is so fun for me. You're joining us from down under, as we like to say. So will you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, anything you'd like to share about you? Sure. So good to to be here. Yeah, I'm in Melbourne, and at the moment, it's a cold, wet, about 12 degrees outside. And oh, Celsius, though. Yeah, it sells. I don't know what that converts to. Sorry. It's still yeah. cold, but I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's not common. <laughs> I don't think of Australia as chilly, so. No, it, in Melbourne, is, Melbourne is seasonal. You get, you definitely get your four seasons and often in a day. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a mum of three kids, uh, 14, about to turn 12 in two days and 10. I'm a wife of nearly 20 years and I'm a nurse, a nutritionist, I'm currently on sabbatical, finishing my Masters of Public Health and just taking some time at the moment to smell the roses a little bit. Yeah. What have you learned? I mean, I guess you, you've been momming and wifing and studying, it sounds like, during your sabbatical. But what have you learned about God or about rest during your sabbatical? I've learned that I thought I was better at rest than I was. Mm-hmm. I've learned that rest is something we have to be incredibly deliberate and intentional about mm-hmm. and that it's important to almost it sounds contradictory but to schedule it yeah and really this year i have tried to just be a lot better at scheduling rest days and rest moments and for me that's can be swimming open water swimming can be running can just be going for a long walk taking the dog out but it's it can be a range of things but that's what I've learned about rest. It's it's an intentional activity yeah. 
these days. Yeah. What is the Australian culture surrounding rest? Because I, I just interviewed someone who lives in Germany and it was stunning to me to, to find that it was very similar to American culture of everything is so success driven. We say chasing quote the American dream, but it's really just, you know, chasing all that success. And I don't actually know, do you feel like Australians are very high strung and driven and, and that your culture pushes back on that? Or how do you feel about rest there? I think we chase the Australian dream. Yeah. Yes. Although this, the the pandemic has, I think, in a way, revolutionised work, particularly for men, in a way that the war did for women. Mm. And it's it's facilitated an opportunity for men to see that they can still be successful, productive at home and have time with their families mm. in a way that pre-pandemic that wasn't accepted. Yeah. It's good to hear a positive thing coming out of that. We, I think, focus so much on the negatives of the pandemic, but that this sounds like a pretty good insight for one, but sounds like a good thing. Yeah, I, I think it will be interesting to see the, sort of the washout in the next couple of years yeah. when we settle, mm-hmm. praying that we do, <laughs> and, and how that works its way out into still the workplace. But at the moment... Well, there was a there was a time in Melbourne where people were allowed back to work in the offices, and the the number was down by like twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So you know, even if you get people taking one day a week at home and four days a week back in the office, that's still a reduction in twenty percent of people actually returning mm-hmm. to the office, which is you know, on a population scale that's significant. Yeah. Hmm. It's in, that's interesting. Yeah. To see how we were talking before I hit record, but I just love learning. First off, I love Australia as a whole. I've only been once and I went to Sydney, but it's it's just interesting. We get so locked into our bubbles, especially I think in a time of crisis like this and mm. to see how it's affecting the whole world still. I I think the fallout definitely will be interesting. Mm. So on that, I was thinking about rest and you had a time in your life where you had had to rest, quote, but it wasn't more like rest. It was more like pain, right? There was a lot that you couldn't do. So I would love to jump into your story if you're willing to share. I just was blown away when we started emailing back and forth. So when did this journey with pain kind of start with you and what did that look like? So really it started when I was around the age of 12 and it started with just the occasional headache and I remember you know I would re- say to my mum I've got a headache today and she'd say oh you just run down you're tired uh, bed early for you mm-hmm. and then it crescendoed really and it was more and more frequent and in- increasingly severe mm-hmm. So that continued through my teens, lots of medical visits, lots of preventative medication. I think my last count was I tried around 20 different types of preventative medication for headaches and migraines by the time I was about 30. But through my teens, yeah, I, I remember I was just perpetually tired, drained, I had days where I was really quite dysfunctional, other days where I 
was able to get through. Mm-hmm. I don't know quite how I finished school. I had lots of days where I would have to leave school early or that type of thing. And then at university studying nursing, I remember there'd be times between classes where I would be struggling with the pain and the only way to get through was to go into the cafeteria and I would just fall asleep on a couch in the cafeteria surrounded by noise. Mm. But that was that was how I got through all, the, all my car sometimes, but that was how I got through to then doing my next class for the afternoon and then I would go home and do it all again the next day. So it was just this perpetual cycle really of of just getting by, getting what I could do done but yeah just just getting by yeah Yeah. what were doctors telling you through this because I know in my journey and it at least timeline wise seems kind of similar as far as mine started when I was almost 13 my journey with pain and not getting a diagnosis for so long you kind of start to think that you're crazy a little Mm. bit And so what was your experience with doctors and did you just say, well, this is just life or you just kept going back saying, no, something's wrong. What happened there? So I'm fortunate, really, my parents were pushers to find an answer. But the consequence of that is you do end up seeing lots of people who tell you, yes, it's all in your head. The pain was in my head, but it, I wasn't making it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it was that the migraines were a result of overbearing parents mm. who were trying to control me and therefore I should see a psychologist to deal with the stress. Well, that was mm. never, ever an issue. And even, you know, I look back now, it might, that was not even a, the tiniest part of that mm. was relevant and so there was this constant need to prove that you have a problem mm-hmm. to be listened to mm-hmm. and to get validation for the pain yeah which really took many years it was uh, probably in my 20s really before i i began to feel validated for for what the issue was. Yeah. And was that a specific doctor? Was that a string of people where you started to feel that validation or what was that turning point? I don't know if I can answer that. I I don't think there was one specific thing. I I, I don't know if it was just time, the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, I was no longer a teenage girl with pain and now I was a woman in my mid-20s still with the same issue. So perhaps it's not an attention-seeking thing anymore. Perhaps it's a legitimate <laughs> problem that you do have. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know whether it was just a maturity thing on, for, for me that they recognised, okay, you're older now. This is not going away. Yeah. yeah. Which is sad because at that point you've already mm. been in pretty horrible pain for over 10 years. Yeah, that's right. I'd been, you know, when I was 18, I was admitted to hospital for three or four days to try and break the cycle as well of the migraine. But it was just relentless, absolutely relentless. Yeah. Were you a Christian growing up? I know that Australia, from what I experienced with my friends there in her church, 
has very different culture than the way I grew up as far as we're in the Bible Belt in the U.S. where there's a church on every single corner and it's kind of the cool thing to say that you're a Christian. And as far as what I've heard, Australia is not like that. It is not cool to be a Christian. Therefore, most people who say they are tend to really walk it out. Yeah. And so were you raised that way? Is that something that came about later? What did that look like through this time, your relationship with God? Yeah, so uh, my dad is a Baptist minister or was a Baptist minister and my husband is the son of a Baptist minister, funnily enough. But so I grew up in a in a Christian family faith. There was a season where I questioned it, questioned it, but it was it was always something that was deeply part of my life, my journey. And I claimed it myself when I was about 10, as opposed to kind of just living under the, the relationship of, of the faith that my, my parents had. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So about the age of 10 decided, actually, this is something I want for myself, not to just ride the coattails of my parents' relationship. So that was go back to you what was your question to me just well it was multiple I tend to do that but that one were you a Christian you know growing up oh yeah like how you know as you're going through doctors but like what did your relationship with God look like as you're processing this pain yeah so yeah and and from an Australian perspective it's not cool to be a Christian it's it's not something that you say if it's not true for you Yeah. yeah absolutely I mean, all through my teenage years, there was just, there was constant questioning of God, you know, why, and I know my parents did the same thing, why, when I'm so young, is this so debilitating, why, how, but I remember hearing someone speaking at church, I don't know how old I would have been, maybe 15, and he said, stop asking God why and ask why not me. Hmm. And that's that stuck with me. And I'm not saying that that was easy or immediate or constant, hmm. but the thought process helped me move from poor me to, okay, God, why not me? What? have you got for me to learn through this season? Yeah. Which ended up being a very long season. But anyway, I didn't know that at the time. Well, it takes away the the victimhood in a sense and the comparison. Yeah, exactly. So when you asked yourself that, why not me? What, what did you, what's your answer to that? Just that there's a bigger plan and that I couldn't see it at the time, but that, yeah, there's something more that, that I necessarily, well, not necessarily, I didn't understand that I couldn't see, but that I was trusting a bigger picture. Yeah. A uh, slight detour, but in, cause I like talking about the world and obviously I have a huge lack of some cultures on this podcast because I don't speak the language, but I think Australia is different. And I think the church capital C church is so much bigger than our little box. Mm. So in Australia, in the, in the Christian culture, if there is one, if you can say there's an Australian Christian culture, what, what is that culture surrounding healing? Or do you think there is one as far as, do you feel like it's 
something where people say, you know, you should have enough faith to be healed or does that depend on the church? Like you have the charismatic church or the not, what do you feel like was that vibe or, or just the vibe that you got growing up from the church with healing? So I think it is denomination led yeah. in, in a way and Growing up in Baptist, it wasn't that we didn't believe at all in healing, but it was it was moderated, you know, mm-hmm. in that I constantly through my teens and 20s was seeking God for healing, you know, people praying for me, putting oil on me, mm-hmm. praying for healing. But I don't think it's it's in a different way to that, to, to what, you see with Pentecostal and charismatic churches where it's, it's, it's a lot more in your face, the healing aspect that that's probably not the right phrase, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And we're saying this in like, I think the intro to the podcast is like, come with an open mind just because I know we're talking about all different denominations and people coming from, you know, I think the gifts are dead to, you know, healing should always come and where is God's heart in that. And that's kind of the point of the, the whole podcast is to figure out, you know, what, what does the Bible say and where, because obviously we have all these denominations. None of us are really getting it a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. So, and I mean, I'm just trying to reflect whether there was ever a time, whether because I didn't see healing, whether there was an aspect that I felt that it was because I'd done something wrong that, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think there, there was ever that part of it. That's good. I, it's good to hear that some people don't have that as part of their story. I think that's good to hear as well. Yeah. So carry on with your story. What's next chronologically? I know there was something crazy with the Botox injection in your neck. Yeah. Is that where we should go next? Yeah. So, well, so in my 20s, I had kids, late 20s, early 30s, and that was challenging having children with constant migraines mm-hmm. and pain almost every day. I managed to get through my pregnancies by the grace of God. And then I remember, you know, really one of the only ways I would get through with my kids when they were young was I would put play school on for them at lunchtime mm-hmm. and give them something to eat. I'd have a sleep on the couch and then I would go for the afternoon, you know. So I just had this constant, constant need every single day for a sleep. Mm-hmm. It was just the only way I could get through. And then in my mid-30s, I had nothing else to try. I tried every preventative there was on the market. There was one preventative which was absolutely horrendous and basically it made me forget my job, huh. all sorts of horrible things. It was just, or I'd, I'd start writing a sentence, get halfway through and then completely forget what the rest of the sentence That's scary. was supposed to be. It was just some of the side effects of the medications were were just terrible. And so by my mid-30s, I'd expired everything. And the only option, well, there was kind of two, two other options 
the one was Botox. And I believe, I don't know if this is still the same, but at the time, Australia was the only country who covered Botox Mm. for migraines. So it didn't really cost me anything to have the Botox. So I started Botox when I was about 36, 37. Mm -hmm. And that looked okay. And it, they give it to you everywhere though. So it's not just on your forehead. They give it a little bit in your forehead and your temples. It's different for neurology than it is for mm. beauty. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit at the front forehead temples, but then it's primarily around your occiput at the back of your neck mm. and potentially into your sort of your shoulder area. Mm-hmm. It depends on what the neurologist deems is is appropriate. So I was having that. That was going okay until I think it was Christmas 20, must have been 2015. And I the, the neurologist gave me too much Botox, and particularly my neck. And I felt like one of those dolls on the back of a car you know just Mm -hmm. where the body's stationary but just the head's like this crazy moving part that you have no control over and the Botox had completely removed in a sense ability to hold my neck oh my gosh and so the consequence of that was that the the migraines became off the charts off the charts yeah off the chart how did you continue I mean were you just on the couch all day? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a. It's a bit of a blur now, really looking back. And I look at photos, and I just see myself like Christmas, Christmas twenty fifteen photos, and there's just an kind of an this emptiness, mm. you know, just from the the constant pain. And by that stage, I was because I was just so inflamed in my whole body mm-hmm. my my whole body hurt so my just everything hurt to touch my kids would come and touch me and it just was it was tender was tender and I remember saying to my doctor I think I've got like this this generalized pain syndrome from the inflammation mm-hmm. and he was just very meh about it mm-hmm. so that was that was sort of to the start Christmas and Christmas 2015 to the start of 2016. It was very, very blurry. Yeah. What did your marriage look like at this time? If I can ask as far as did this pain ever start to affect your marriage? I'm sure how I'm thinking I'm two years into marriage. How could it not? But what, what did that aspect look like? Well, I mean, my husband had known me only unwell. Oh Yeah you know, from, from when we got together. And, and so for him, constant migraines was, was a, just a a normal thing for me and Mm. needing to rest and needing to modulate my day. So I, I could only ever schedule one thing on a day. Mm. So if I was say working, I would never do anything at night. Mm. Or if I had, I don't know, a big, if I was doing something for church on a morning, singing for five hours kind of thing, mm-hmm. then that was what I did for the day. There was nothing else. Yeah. 
So that was, I just had to control what my days looked like to get by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes sense. So I'm, I know it's been a while since I read through your story. I just have like the, the things I remember and wrote down. Yeah, sure. But the, the head blocks going into that, nerve yeah. blocks, sorry, nerve blocks in your head. Yeah. I yeah. had a nerve block in my shoulder. Was that, was that before the Botox or was that after? So that was after the Botox. So when the when the neurologist gave me too much Botox, we were struggling to get any control back for for the pain. And so she said, well, really, the only thing I can do for you is occipital nerve blocks. So so that's when they they inject local anesthetic and cortisone into the occiput region like there's there's sort of critical nerve pathways there that they know are involved in migraine triggering and so the idea is that if you if you inject directly into the nerve that you reduce inflammation and and give the the local anesthetic to give relief Hmm. so that worked whilst the anesthetic was in my system but as soon as the local anesthetic wore off it was I was back to square one. How long did it last? Oh, less than a day. So, I mean, unless you're going to live on anesthetic, which I'm sure could not be good. Yeah. That would not work. <laughs> yeah, it was, no. What other? No. So then the the discussion was she was going to refer me to a pain clinic for having, they're like a TENS machine, a yeah. neurostimulator implanted. And so where they put, it's sort of a pacing device and then they put electrodes up to your brain. And so it's designed to essentially confuse the nerve path, the, the pain pathways. So you don't, it doesn't treat the pain. It doesn't stop it. It doesn't reduce it in a way, but it does reduce it in that it confuses that pain pathway so that your brain the the pain sensation is diminished because of that confusion. So they did do that or they were going to? No, so they were going to. They were going to. And then that takes me to Easter okay. 2016. And I was just sitting at home once again, the desperation and mm-hmm. the just Googling whatever. Mm-hmm. And an advert came up for a jaw clinic in the city and I had had braces when I was very young Mm -hmm. I had major major dental issues when I was very young and I had asked over the years whether my jaw could be a contributing factor to my migraines and I was dismissed every time Mm. so I had never really given it much thought beyond that except that now I had I was staring down the barrel of having electrodes put into my brain mm-hmm. I had no, apart from money I had nothing left to lose yeah. so I just decided all right well this is what I'm doing if this fails I know I have completely exhausted every single angle right. and I, I will then get the electrodes put in yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. What What's interesting is earlier in 2016, I was at church, I think it was, and just talking to someone and on the wall, there was 
a Bible verse. And the Bible verse was from 1 Peter 1, 5 and 6. And it says, God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. Hmm. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. And so early 2016, God had made that verse clear to me. And so I was clinging on to that, Hmm. knowing that to me that was after decades that was God's promise that the day is coming when I'll have life healed and whole. And I didn't know at that stage at all what that looked like, but it was just a glimmer of hope. So did you think that was heaven or? No, I thought you it feel was, like that was. Yeah, be... I thought that was earthly, earth healing, but I didn't know what that meant. And I have always thought, okay, well, I, I truly believe God will heal me, but it might be when I get to heaven mm-hmm. you know so what was different just for people I know we have people listening from a whole different spectrum of faith journeys and so when we talk about hearing God or this verse stood out to me when you felt that like what did that feel like to you is it just kind of this knowing or that you think the spirit just put that in you or what yeah what did that feel like <laughs> so that that's a a really hard question to answer, but an important one. So I think sometimes when I would say God speaks to me, it's when all of a sudden you get a thought, you get a moment that is completely disconnected from where you were in your head. Mm -hmm. And then following from that, there's something where it resonates, where you say, yes. Yeah. You know, so it might, it can be a thought in this instance for me, it was seeing a Bible verse on a wall Mm -hmm. and I just went, yes, that is, Mm -hmm. that is for me. Yeah. Yeah. I really relate to that. I just know that we all hear, you know, just a little bit differently. And so I love to hear other people describe that journey as well. Yeah. So you're clinging to that. And then what happened? So Easter, so that was early 2016 and then Easter 2016, I found this jaw clinic in Melbourne and they very kindly, when I emailed them, they put me in within days and I went in to see them. I caught the train in. So this was, yeah, just after Easter, I caught the train in and there's a beautiful old train station in Melbourne called Flinders Street Mm. and it's really really popular really uh, it's a landmark Mm. you know because there's these old clocks out the front that tell that tell the time of the next train Mm. and it's it's a beautiful beautiful old building and I was walking down the steps of, of Flinders Street and as I was crossing the road to to walk up to Collins Street I had this once again, a verse just pop pop out of my mind. And, well, not really a verse, it was just a, a phrase. And that was, these men are my coat to you. Hmm. Now, let me explain that because the jaw clinic involves 
seeing two people in the same room at the same time. One is a chiropractor and one is a functional dentist. I think that's awesome. They work together. Yeah. So you never see them separately. Hmm. You always see them in the same room at the same time. And so all the assessments they do are together. And so I knew that. So that's, that's the, these men, Mm -hmm. these men are my coat to you. And the, the, the coat to you is reference to a verse in Luke, Luke 8, that I held dearly for many years. And the woman who touched Jesus's coat, who'd had the bleeding for so long, and she'd seen so many doctors, and she knew that if she could just touch Jesus's coat, mm-hmm. she would be healed. And so when God said, when God said to me, these men are my coat to you, I knew that in some form, this was going to be an opportunity for healing. Mm. Yeah. I love that because you first saw a scripture, because I think God speaks to us a lot through his word, just quickening actual scripture to our hearts. But this one wasn't really... I mean, it's, he was referencing scripture because he knew you knew that story, but it was totally different. And I, I hear God that way too. And I think that's amazing to hear the phrase, these men are my coat to you. I mean, that's just so special. Like, don't you just feel so known when, yeah, yeah. I just, it makes me want to cry because he's like, I see you and I'm going to talk to you walking down the stairs right now, Mm. put this hope into you. Yeah. And then, and you just, you know, at Flinders Street, you, you're one in a crowd. There's, mm-hmm. there's thousands of people around you. It's hustle bustle, people crossing the major intersection, trying to get to the train. And, and I was just, I was bereft. Like I was mm-hmm. empty by that stage. I, I hadn't, I had nothing. And yet, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, there's this sense that mm-hmm. God still sees. Yeah. I yeah. just, love that. And then, I mean, what happens next is the completion of that, right? That you weren't crazy. I think sometimes we're like, well, I don't know if that's God. And then obviously what happens next really shows that that was him really saying that to you. Yeah, that's right. So I met with with these guys and I had a dislocated jaw, major, major issues that I, I had I had no pain, but I I had very limited movement of my jaw. Mm-hmm. Like eating meat was really challenging, you know, things like that where mm-hmm. yeah, you, you kind of have to open your mouth reasonably wide or chew. I just I just couldn't. But I was I was reading last night in in preparation for today my journal from around that time and wow. I put in there, I have a tentative sense that I'm on the brink of something that might change my life. Hmm. And it, it truly did. That's pretty bold. And when you yeah. write it down. That's yeah, a, that's right. That declaration of hope. Yeah, that's right. I know it's just in your own personal journal, yeah. but I think that takes yeah. a lot sometimes to even write it down there. I've, for all my life, I have searched for healing from my headaches, but God wants healing and wholeness. What the woman wanted was healing but Jesus wanted wholeness because he, when she touches his coat and he feels the power go out from her, but then he turns around and says, who touched my coat? Mm-hmm. And 
I don't believe that's because he's annoyed that someone touched his coat. I believe it's because when he turns around and she steps up and says, I touched your coat, Mm -hmm. he says, daughter, Mm -hmm. your faith has made you well. Go. And that right there is the wholeness. Yeah. Because she wanted healing Mm -hmm. by touching his coat. But then Jesus spins around and blesses her, gives her the healing, but then also gives her wholeness Mm -hmm. by saying, you know, your faith has made you well. Yeah. So what would you say was your healing and then what was your wholeness? Because they're different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, healing was <laughs> healing was essentially a piece of plastic. You know, the the jaw clinic I was fitted for a a brace. Mm-hmm. I still wear one every night and it's just this really simple piece of plastic, but it's it fits with the neurology of my jaw and mm-hmm. that was the most important thing. And as soon as they put as soon as I, so I had the molds taken and then I went back a week or two later and they put them in. Mm-hmm. As soon as they put my fitted plate in, my pain reduced by 50% instantly. Wow. Yeah. And after how long at this point? 20 years? Oh, uh, 20, yeah, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, to get yeah. that kind of relief is just crazy, right? That's right. That's right. And after my first visit with them, you know, I I went home on the train and I was I was just I must have looked like a right <laughs> case to people on the train because I was just sobbing a because God had given me hope that these guys are going to be provide healing mm-hmm. and yeah, just that that there might be an end. So that was the healing. Yeah. How do you differentiate that from wholeness? Yeah. So the wholeness is a mental, emotional sense of rest, I think, for Mm me. And, you know, I I can't remember. You asked me me a question in in your email about, see if I can find it, are there any redemptions of your pain or any purpose you see in how God worked on your wholeness in the years of trial that you could explain part of part of his redemptive purpose in your life and you know I I don't know I've got no idea why why it took 25 years Mm I I I have I have no idea why God couldn't work it out 25 years earlier Mm -hmm. except that it's for the wholeness Mm -hmm. because it has made me a different person through that journey that I wouldn't have experienced had it not been for the pain. Yeah. So what does it look like now? What does your pain look like now? Uh, I don't get any of the headaches that I had for all those years. Yeah. How long did it take for them to go away? It's a good question. It was probably... It was close to six months. In fact, I'm I'm a nerd mm-hmm. and I actually graphed my journey with them and I've still got the graphs. Mm-hmm. And I, so I graphed my start with them 
of severity versus mm-hmm. pain medication. I was taking Imigrin almost every day. And then, so I've, I've actually got sort of a, a, a quantitative yeah. reference of the six months and you can see the severity going down and you can see less pain relief medication, less Imigrin being re- required. Mm. So, so I finished the program with them after six months, but then there was still ongoing healing of my body mm-hmm. for at least another 12 months after that. Yeah. But, you know, it was to the point where by second semester or second half of the year 2016, I felt well enough to study, to go back and start my master's. Mm-hmm. So that that's how profound the change was. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about the graph and I think that's amazing because I feel like, you know, I have my scar. That's one of my remembrances that God can point me to because I think sometimes we look back when we do get a healing and we're like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. Mm. You know, it can't have been that bad. And you look at something like a graph and it, it was that bad. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you, where do you keep it or do you keep it where you can see it? Or how often do you try to just remember, like, is this so weird to do a podcast because you don't live in this every day anymore or well, how do you try to remember? It's not weird so much. It's, I don't look at the graphs very often. It's more when I just kind of stumble across them if I'm just looking through stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, every time, so when I, when I started to feel better, I, I, I started swimming again. At first, the chiropractor said, you can't do any laps because my sacroiliac joint was sprained. Like he just said, you're, you're in too much of a, of a pickle. You just need to go slow. So I was just going to the hydrotherapy pool and literally walking with all the oldies. It was just hysterical. Mm-hmm. And then I gradually did a little bit of breaststroke in the hydrotherapy pool until I got the okay to go and start doing laps. So then I went back swimming again, which I love. And then I was walking more and then I started cycling and running. And so Hmm. it's just been this evolution where I'm doing things with my body that I never ever dreamed I could yeah and so every time I'm running particularly I just see that as a an opportunity to like each step is is my thank you Mm. because I've got capacity to do things with my body that I never had before So I I think that's how I reflect on the then compared to the now is, is with what I'm physically capable of to what I used to, to what I was, you know, and I like, I don't, I don't sleep at all during the day anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't need any of that. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Well, praise God for one. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm, trying to focus and not just start crying because it's just so amazing to see that and every step as a thank you I mean gosh if we could all live like that I mean I I just think gratitude is so integral to our faith and never getting over it right yeah yeah 
And you told me that you are thinking about doing a triathlon because you mentioned swimming, biking, and running, right? Yeah. Or no? So, no, so I've, I've dabbled in triathlon, but okay. I haven't had a very successful one yet. I'll tell you why. Because the first one I did, I forgot my trainers. So Put your shoes. Yeah. I then, I've been reading Harry Potter and I was like, what are trainers? And I finally <laughs> figured it out. <laughs> so I had to I was going to run barefoot because I run I do a lot of barefoot running and and walking so I was happy to do that but then my daughter loaned me her these little flimsy things <laughs> so I ran I so that was my first triathlon the second one I forgot my helmet <laughs> oh they let you compete no I had to borrow one okay then the third triathlon, I think, was all right. But then the fourth one, my derailleur hanger snapped two Ks onto the bike. Hmm. So I then had to walk back, get the bus back to the tent. Oh, no. But they did let me do the run at least. But I'm waiting, desperately hoping that this next season in Australia, I can get an uneventful, successful triathlon in and remember just, all my bits. Yeah, keep doing it though. Keep going. <laughs> Aww, that's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> and you like to swim open water? Is that part of triathlon stuff? So I do that. I started doing that last year more so with lockdown because pools pools were closed. And uh, uh, the triathlon, it's obviously helpful because it gets you more comfortable in the open water. Yeah. But really, I do it more now for for mental health and yeah. just there is something magical about being out in the water and there's nothing between you and out mm. there and there's god is there i'm sorry but god is is in the open water mm-hmm. it's just and there's, I've been out, there's stingray, you see wild stingray as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's amazing what you swim over. Are you in the ocean? Well, it's, it's a bay, but it's, it come, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it, yeah, it feeds in. Yeah. Okay. I have a naive question, but I, I was an adrenaline junkie for a while in my young twenties. I think. And so I was looking at things to do in Australia, probably when I went there. So I scuba dove with sharks in Sydney, but they were nurse sharks, but they were pretty big. That was one great thing. But as I was looking, I can't remember which city it is and maybe you're familiar with it, but they have the croc cage, right? So it's this huge glass cage where you get in with this, I mean, massive crocodiles around you, but you're in this little glass container and looking up stories if it had ever broken and all of that stuff. But all that to say, you have not crocodile Dundee, uh, croc hunter. Yes, right? yes. I mean, crocodiles are a huge thing there. Yes, right. Well, not in Melbourne, they're not. Do you ever? <laughs> okay, I'm like, do you ever like? Are they there? Like that is mildly terrifying no, no. to think. My of. parents freak out at the stingray, but they're all right as long as you don't stand on them. Yeah. So swimming over them is absolutely fine. But uh, yeah, so Melbourne, we don't have crocodiles, but okay. you can probably do the cage thing, uh, Queensland or maybe, or probably not the Northern Territory, but it would be a Queensland thing, I would think. Yeah. 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 I don't think I really have the need to do that anymore, but I really wanted to <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> but 
Okay, Karis, I want to just speak to people today. Your story, that overview and like how God spoke to you is just so incredible. You're walking and healing, living that miracle every day. For someone who is is in that place, maybe a mom who's in that place with your pain, you know, feeling like she can't be a good mom or that she's limited or maybe she can't do the work things she wants to do. What would you say to her in that place? So I would say primarily keep fighting for answers that it's not in your head and just to keep fighting that, you know, with, with nursing, we're taught that pain is anything the patient says it is. Hmm. And I think nursing is a lot better accepting pain than doctors are because, well, actually, I don't know why. I think just that's my 20-year experience of seeing that I think nurses accept descriptions of pain from patients better than doctors do. And so people need to just keep fighting until you find your miracle, find your answer, find someone who is on the same page as you. And that can take a very long time, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of judgments in the short term. Yeah. But hold true to what you know. You're not going mad. Mm -hmm. And just keep keep fighting, keep searching. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's not an answer I get all the time, but one that I think is super, super important. Mm. To, oh man, fight, fight the good fight, but not, Yeah. I mean, that's about faith, not your health, but you know, I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also on that, for someone who's in that place, like they're, they're in that ton of pain. What did your time with God look like? Or, you know, I just feel like you talked about how you had to schedule your day, So clearly, you know, your time with God had to go within your limitations, Mm. right? So Mm. what did that look like as you kept your faith through all of that? Like, what would you say to someone who is like, I don't know if I can do this Bible study or do this. Like, how do I stay connected to God Mm. to where I'm hearing his Mm. voice like you were even amidst this pain? I'd say take the load off. (laughs) God is not going anywhere. And Hmm. you don't have to have an open Bible in front of you to communicate with God. One thing that really I found helpful was I sing. And so I just used to sing. And sometimes I had no words, but the words of the songs would be my my prayer. And, And so I would say... Find find a song, find an artist, find something that really resonates with you. And if you don't have the energy, you put it on and that becomes your prayer. And so people, it's, it, it's, it's, it's like people speak on your behalf mm-hmm. when you just don't have the words to say for yourself. Yeah. We put, no, we put so much pressure on ourselves, I think, you know, that, and and I don't know if it's growing up in the church culture that this is what a quiet time looks like. Yeah. You get out your Bible, you do your journal, you pray, and then you go about your day. Mm-hmm. That That's, I think we've got it flipped upside down, you know, and mm-hmm. 
God is always there. We can always communicate, even if it's sometimes just a, saying a simple sentence. Mm. God, thanks that you're with me, but I don't have the I don't have the energy right now. Please, can you help me? Yeah. And there's no judgments from God about whether you sit down with your Bible today or don't. You know, there, and there'd be sometimes where I would journal mm-hmm. for days on end, and then I would mm-hmm. go for months without writing a thing. And, yeah. and none of that's right or wrong. It's yeah. just, it is that's what good. it is. Yeah. Good reminder, even for me, because I think even just with my personality now, you know, by and large, I have much fewer limitations than I did in seasons in my life. And I still get, you can get so locked into that little box. So many boxes we put ourselves and got in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because we want to compartmentalize to understand. Yeah. But and maybe you can't fully ever understand God, so we can't right. fit in a box. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, Karis, who would you say God has been to you through this overarching story and life that you've gotten to live so far with him? Yeah, so I was I was thinking about that and I would say God's been a listener. Mm-hmm. I've ranted, I've cried, I've yelled, I've been angry, all at God, with God, not understanding the why, even though I, you know, I, I knew that there was a bigger picture, but you, I'm still human and young. But God to me has, has been a listener and, and still is, you know, I think intrinsically that's, that's who I see God as, as a listener. And I don't, I don't know, that's probably theologically not great because then it's like a one-way relationship, mm-hmm. right? But it's not, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but I've found it incredibly helpful just to know that God listens. Yeah. I wonder almost if, just how you're describing God, I feel like it's like that coach who is always really quiet and everything and listening. But then when he speaks, man, you better listen, right? Yeah. Because obviously the words that you mentioned, I mean, he is speaking to you, but so often we think he's silent and maybe he's not silent. He's listening. Mm. That just came to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Karis, we've covered an awful lot. I'm always stunned how fast it goes. I'm like, I feel like we just started. But what did you think of either before this or something God is putting on your heart? Is there anything you want to say to people or a part of your story that that we didn't get to? What's on your mind before we wrap up? So I think, you know, we, one thing that I've really, there's been a need to balance through all these years in my mind that sense of grit and grace. Yes. And I'm glad you brought this up. I can't believe I forgot. (laughs) You know, for me, I I just, if I have to reflect on, on somewhere in Jesus's life where he reflected grit and grace, it's when he's on the cross and, you know, the, the passion translation, he says, take this cup of agony from me, but no matter what, your will must be mine. 
And for me, you know, the the grit is take this cup away from me. Like I'm just barely mm. getting by, um, gritting my teeth with everything I'm experiencing. Yeah. But I'm digging, digging in to get through it. And then there's the grace, but no matter what, your plan is still better than what I can work out for yeah. my own life. You know, your will must be mine. And it's always both, right? Yeah, that's right. And and so there's definitely been over the years this this seesaw mm-hmm. and constant balance of of the the grit. God, what on earth mm-hmm. is this? Versus, okay, God, I'm I'm accepting. Right. I don't, I don't understand, but I'm accepting. Like yeah. you said to people, we'll keep fighting. And then there's the grace of, okay, this is yeah. what I have right now as well. Yeah. But I can keep looking for answers. And it, I feel like the health journey when you're in pain is, I mean, it's just constant. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Any other nuggets that you're dying to share? Cause that one was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm just, just you know there's a beautiful psalm is psalm 77 where he talked david talks about god giving him songs in the night mm-hmm. and we need to keep singing even though we are in a night season mm-hmm. pain is a night season absolutely and it can be a very protracted night season mm-hmm. but you keep singing and God will give you the songs to keep singing in the night season. Okay, well, I don't need to say anything else. That sounds like a perfect uh, benediction point for us right there. Just keep singing in the night season. So, man, Karis, just dropping truth bombs. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Thank you so, so much. Pleasure. I think this is going to help a lot of people. Thanks for having me. It's been great. So on this podcast, a lot of times we talk to people who are in the middle of their pain crises or things going on because I think it's so important for us to figure out how to honor God and and see that his grace is sufficient for us in the present. But we do talk about all these healings. And so I love Karis's episode because it shows that she's healed, like fully healed through science and medicine and truly what we know is governing all of that through God's hand. And so I just want to tell you that I am praying for you today, wherever you are for your healing, even if you gave up on it a long time ago because we know that's important as well. So I am praying for you. I hope you have a great week and we will see you here again on Monday.